You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse number 1. Now, before we jump into this, the verses that we're taking a look at today talk about biblical principles for the Christian home. And if you look at this and you say, well, I'm not married, I don't have kids, uh, something along those lines, don't check out on me, okay? Don't think this doesn't apply to me because the Bible always applies to everyone. First of all, uh, God may give you children one day and you need to be prepared for this. This is part of the training process for you. Uh, Or possibly maybe you can look at uh, where maybe somebody that you know has gone wrong in their parenting uh, and what they didn't follow God's guidelines for the way things should have been done. Or how about this? This might never apply to you in your entire lifetime. You might never be married. You might never have children. But what if you could take the truth of God's word and help other people uh, with information from the Bible? We don't know that Paul had any children. We don't even know that Paul was ever really married. We have some, some idea that maybe he could have possibly been married at some point in his life. We don't know of any children that Paul had, yet Paul gave instruction on how to raise children. And that was helpful for us. Uh, Paul gave instructions on marriage that we took a look at over the last several weeks as well. And so we want to... Uh, latch on to as much wisdom as we can. So take, t- take really good notes today. Even if it doesn't apply it to, to you directly today, file that away for future reference or to be able to help somebody else in the future. Ephesians chapter six, verse number one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. This is every parent's favorite verse, right? Uh, you might not know anything else in the Bible, but every parent knows this verse and we want to tell our kids to obey. Verse number two, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and the singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye services, men pleasers, but with servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Uh, Angela and I, while we were away, we had our, uh, my mother-in-law, Angela's mom, come in and watch our kiddos for us. Uh, we trust Thatcher, our oldest son. We don't trust him that much. Uh, so we were going to be gone for about 10 or 11 days or so. And so uh, mom flew out and was able to watch the kids for us. And it was awesome uh, to have her out and spend some time with her. Uh, while she was away, she, uh, she took the kids to the store and got groceries and stuff like that that uh, every grandmother should do. She probably gave them way too much uh, candy, let them watch way too much TV, stay up far too late because that's what grandmas do, right? And that was good. My, my grandma, I'm sorry, my mother-in-law, if you haven't met her yet, she's not here today because our, our baby Tallulah's sick, and so she's at home watching our kid while she's sick. How awesome is that? Uh, but if you don't, haven't met my, my mother-in-law, she's a, a, a sweet southern lady. Uh, she lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee right now, but she's lived all over the south, and she is what you would think of as a real deal southern grandma. Uh, lots of lipstick, lots of kisses, lots of uh, loud talking like grandmas do, right? And she's an incredible, incredible woman. She was at the store the other day, and our daughter Tallulah refuses. Tallulah is, uh, I think, almost 20 months now. Uh, I'm bad with math, so she's around that age. She's not quite two yet, but she's more than the one and a half, okay? Uh, So Tallulah's at the store, and she refuses to keep anything in her hair, whether it's a rubber band, whether it's a clip, whether it's a bow. She just refuses, pulls it out 30 seconds after it's in her hair. And so what happens is as the day goes on, her hair gets down on her face and it's a big, huge, hot mess. And you know how uh, kids are. They begin to sweat and their, their nose begins to run and then they, they rub it in their hair and her hair's just all over the place. And so uh, grandma is in the, the store at the checkout line and, and clips her hair back and she immediately takes the bow and pulls it out of her hair. And the lady behind my, my mother-in-law says to her, you need to put a bow in her hair and get that hair out of her face. And she goes, well, she doesn't, she won't keep it in her hair. She keeps pulling it out. And she goes, well, you're the adult. And she goes, excuse me? I was like, oh, my soul. And so, (laughs) let me help you with something. Never try to parent other people's children. It never works well, ever. Uh, The worst advice is unsolicited advice, right? I don't need your advice. I don't, (laughs) and so uh, my mother-in-law, as sweet as she was, I had a, a minor public freak out at the grocery store uh, with that. But I say this today, I'm not giving you unsolicited advice today on how to parent. I'm giving you God's wisdom on how your home should operate. I'm not telling you my thoughts or what's worked well for me. I'm telling you what the Bible says. And every time we follow God's plan for life, we find joy. 
every single time. And so I'm not giving you unsolicited advice today. I'm not telling you that you need to change to be like me. I'm telling you you need to fall in line with what God's guidelines are for the Christian home. And I know we'll all be helped by that this morning. Before we jump into the message, I wanna give you a couple of resources that I think will be really helpful to you as you uh, walk with Jesus and and grow in your Christian life. A few uh, books that we have available for sale today. First of all, a book called Outsiders. I think this is probably one of the best books I've read in the last five years. Uh, It was coincidentally written by my pastor in California. Uh, It's an outstanding book talking about 15 men who really shaped Christianity as we know it today. Uh, These are 15 men throughout history, post-Bible times, uh, that really had a massive influence on the way that we live our life. This is a $15 book. I got a really good deal uh, because we bought them in bulk. I got them for $10, but today I'm offering to you for five bucks today only if you want it. And I I do that because I believe it will help you so much in your Christian life that if you'll take it, read it, and apply it, you'll be a better Christian because of it. And it's a great book because it gives a brief biographical sketch of these 15 men, and at the end of the chapter, it gives some practical thoughts and what we can do uh, to, to uh, apply principles that we find from their lives uh, that's available for you today. Probably the best parenting book I've ever read in my entire life is called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, we have a few copies of that today. I think 10 or 15 copies of that available today for $6 each. Again, I got a killer deal on these. You, you need to get them uh, if you're a reader. If you want to learn how to better be a parent, this book is for you. Uh, I'm telling you this. Every time somebody says, I need a good parenting book, I always recommend this book. I wouldn't read any other parenting book until I had read this first because it gives a good biblical basis for why we do what we do as parents. Next, uh, there's a really good book uh, that we have, uh, I think maybe five copies of left today, uh, The Bible Made Easy for Kids. It's basically a synopsis of the Bible and really easy uh, to teach stories to your children. Uh, but here's the thing too, uh, my wife and I, uh, when we first got married, she was, was, didn't grow up in a Bible preaching church and didn't know a lot about the Bible. She got kids books like this and learned the Bible uh, through things like this. And so I'd encourage you if you have kids or if you just want the Bible to be really, really simple for you, uh, 10 bucks uh, for those. Again, all these books are at cost or below cost because we want to put them in your hands and, and help you with that. Uh, also, we have a handful of hymnals that we have left here, uh, 10 bucks or so uh, for those hymnals. Any of these resources that you, you see here, if you say, I really want this, I just don't have the money for it, please see me on that. I promise you I'll make a way for you to do that. Our goal is not to make money. Again, all these are sold at cost or below cost because I believe it will be helped to you as a Christian. So I want to encourage you uh, to take some of these resources and implement them uh, in your, your home. I, I know you'll be better because of it. Now, Back to the the message from Ephesians chapter six today. First of all, we as parents have a responsibility to lead our children. This is a God-given responsibility. And if you're not leading your children, you are not fulfilling the purpose that God has given you. Simple as that. It's our job to lead them, to guide them. Deuteronomy chapter number six. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk with them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. God told the children of Israel in the very beginning of the Bible, hey, my people will be a people that follow the book, the Bible, God's word. And I want you to take this word and I want you to teach it to your kids and I want you to talk about it when you're in your house, when you're walking out around town, When you lay down at night, you should talk about it. When you wake up in the morning, you should talk about it. This should be an integral part of your life. And we as parents have a responsibility to lead our children to follow Jesus. Based on Ephesians chapter five, we've been taking a look at that the last several weeks as well. The Bible talks about men being the head of their home. And so this responsibility primarily, at the end of the day, the buck stops with the father. That's that's, that's God's plan for the home. Now, there's been many times where my wife has come alongside me and helped me and supported me and encouraged me. And uh, sometimes when I drop the ball, she picks it up on my behalf. But at the end of the day, dads, the buck stops with you for the training of your children to love and follow Jesus. Bottom line. Uh, Men, you are to be the theologian for your home. You should know the Bible like no one else in your home. And, and, and many of you guys are sitting here today going, well, my wife grew up in church, but I didn't. Then you need to get on the ball and get up to speed. You need to be the resident expert for the Bible in your home. That's your God-given responsibility. And so we must take that and we must take it seriously. The purpose for your authority in the lives of your children is not to hold them under your, po- under your power, but to empower them to be self-controlled people living freely under the authority of God. That's a really, really long sentence. I want to break it down for you. Your goal of the authority in your life is not to hold them under your power. Uh, my son Vanderlei is our youngest son. Uh, he just turned 17 years old back in February. 
Next February, he'll be 18 years old. You know what that means he can do? According to the law, just about anything he wants to. If he wants to join the military, he can join the military. If he wants to go get a tattoo, he can get a tattoo. If he wants to go get a, a bone stuck through his nostrils, he can do that. It doesn't need parental consent for that. If he decides he doesn't want to go to church, we can't do anything about that. If at 18 years old, he decides he wants to drop out of school, there's nothing we can do for that because legally he's an adult. So really my authority in his life, legal authority, really has an expiration date on it, very short, that I have the ability to tell him what to do. So for the past 17 years, I've been trying to put into him the resources that he needs, that when he turns 18, he doesn't need dad to tell him anymore, hey, those guys aren't the best guys to hang out with. Hey, that girl over there probably isn't the type of girl you're looking to, to marry and spend the rest of your life with. Hey, that thing that those people are doing at work, I know that they say it's okay and they're not getting caught, but you know that's not right. I don't have to tell him those things because I've been trying to put into him discernment and wisdom for the last 17 years. Now, does that mean when he turns 18, I take my hands off and let him go? No, I'm gonna continue to shepherd him and guide him for the rest of his life. And so our goal is to empower them to live under the authority of God. Know this, everyone will always be under authority, everyone. And, and I had this foolish idea that when I turned 18, I moved out of my parents' house, I, was, I no longer had any authority. I'm my own boss, I call the shots now, it was really exciting. And I thought to myself, man, what's the, what's the easiest way to leave my hometown, get out of my parents' house, get a steady paycheck and do my own thing? I think I'm gonna join the military. And so I joined the Navy thinking, I'm gonna be my own boss now, right? I'm now under the, out from under the authority of my parents, I get to call the shots. And I realized, no, I just traded one authority structure for another, right? And now this authority structure wasn't as kind and loving and compassionate either, right? They didn't care if you were having a bad day. They didn't care if your feelings got hurt. They didn't care if you cried because they were the authority. And so I thought to myself, well, when I get out of the Navy, then I won't be under authority, Mark, and be under my own authority. Know this, you will always be under authority because God is our ultimate authority. We'll always answer to him, and we can't get out from under that. And so we need to teach our children, this is an important point for parents, we need to teach our children that authority is not a bad thing. Authority is actually a very, very good thing because it gives us a basis of structure for which to follow in our home. We would never, in front of our children, tear down any authority structure. If a, if a teacher did something that was wrong, that we knew was wrong, was 100% wrong, we would never tear down that authority in front of our children because we want them to always respect authority because authority is a picture of God. If we teach them that you always need to be suspect of authority and trust no one, and authority is always out to, to make your life difficult or make your life bad, then they begin to get a warped perception of, of, of God's authority in their lives. Every time we've ever gotten, every time I've ever gotten pulled over by a police officer, I've tried to be respectful and kind because I want my kids to know, respect authority. He's just doing his job. He's not trying to make my life hard. I broke the law. He's enforcing the law. And we all get to do our thing because we fall under authority. And so I want to teach my kids not to live under my authority, but to live under God's authority because I'm going to die one day. They're gonna dig a hole and put my body in it. Everybody's gonna go somewhere and eat fried chicken and they're gonna move on with life, right? And at that point, I want my kids to be able to know, hey, dad's gone, but we still know what we're supposed to do. Hey, I'm not trying to live my life to make my dad happy. I'm trying to live my life to make my heavenly father proud of me. And I want to shape them in such a way that they're not looking for my approval, but they're looking for God's approval. That's the goal of biblical parenting. If we don't lead and train our children, the world will gladly take the lead. Probably one of the most foolish statements that I've ever heard parents make is, well, I'm just gonna let my kids make up their own mind what they think is best. That sounds really open-minded and free-thinking in the society that we live in today, but let me just tell you this, that's a death sentence for your children. It's funny to me, the people who say, well, I'm gonna let my kids make up their own decisions about the Bible and spirituality and where they go to church and what they believe. I'm gonna let them make their own decisions about that. But my kids aren't gonna drink soda. They're not allowed to eat sugar. 
They're not going to eat bread because bread's bad for you. And my, my kids aren't ever going to drink uh, those Capri Suns because I saw this thing on the internet one time where all the gunk gets on the bottom of the Capri Suns and they're full of fungus. My kids aren't going to drink those. And we're only going to eat all natural foods. We're only, kids are only going to eat organic fruits. And when we go to church, we're going to pack them their own snacks and their own thing, containers that they have because they're not allowed to eat what all the other kids eat. Cheez-Its will give you cancer or whatever. But I'm going to let my kids make up their own mind about everything else. Really? I would a whole lot rather my kids eat Cheez-Its and love Jesus than to eat organic food and, and be confused about life. It's our goal as parents to shape their hearts, to shape their minds. That's why they call it training. And when we abdicate that role to the world, you're setting your children up for failure. Simple as that. If you don't train your kids, the world will. I promise you that. Walk into any clothing store. The world will tell your children what they should wear and what's cool and what's not cool. It's funny, the things that were cool when I was in high school are coming back around as being cool again, right? Unbelievable, right? My son, my son the other day tight rolled his jeans when he went to work. And I thought to myself, oh, my soul, I did that when I was in seventh grade. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Why? Because it's cool again to tight roll your jeans, I guess. I don't know. I saw some guy, mind you, we were in Europe. I saw some guy wearing uh, capri pants for men. I don't know that that was ever a thing. And if it was, I think it should go by the wayside. But I, I think I'd rather have capri pants for men than to have skinny pants for men, right? I don't know. That's just a personal preference. That's not from the Bible. So uh, it's just my own personal preference, right? But it's funny to me that the world will tell you what's cool and what's appropriate. And so they're going to train you that that's the way things are. Celebrities and, 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 and entertainment is going to train your child what's right and what's wrong if you don't. So we must step up. Even when something comes on the television and we have to hit the pause button and say, hey, kids, what they said on the TV right there, not true at all. And here's what the Bible says. That's why it's not true. Hey, we're going to turn this TV show off because this doesn't honor and please the Lord. Hey, we're not going to watch this movie because X, Y, and Z. And again, you as a parent have to make that decision. And, and please understand that at the end of the day, fathers, you're responsible before God for your family, and you gotta take that seriously. And if you do things differently than I do, that's fine, as long as you do it the way that God would intend you to do it. I have really good friends that love Jesus that don't own televisions because they say everything that comes out of the TV is sinful. Okay, and that's okay if you wanna have that standard for your family, but don't place that on everybody else and say everybody that has a TV is sinful. It just doesn't work that way. If you have a standard for your family, I love and respect the fact that you are looking out for the best interest of your family, but don't put that standard on everyone else because it's your responsibility to train your children. You with me this morning? Good. So if you don't lead and train your family, the world will. It's interesting. I came across a quote this past week. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He's completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it, his bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch or whatever. Deny him these things and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty, he has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist. Who wrote that? The Minnesota Crime Commission. Can you believe that? You're thinking this was written by some Christian theologian or some biblical scholar. No, the world says if you don't train your kids, they're gonna grow up to be selfish, self-centered sinners who just wanna get their way. And so it's our responsibility as parents to make sure that doesn't happen, that we train our children, we guide them into a loving relationship with the only person that can make a difference, and that is Jesus. You see, the goal of the Christian home is not to produce well-behaved children, but to shape radical disciples of Jesus. I've seen very, very well-behaved children that are in families of agnostic and atheist people, people who could really couldn't care less about the things of God. And they're well-behaved, well-mannered people. It's not the goal of the Christian home to just produce well-behaved kids. The world can do that apart from the Bible. 
There are, are schools that you could send your kids to that teach them what fork to use for what. I, hey, look, I'm 42 years old and I still don't know what fork I'm supposed to use, right? There's a, there's a certain way that you're supposed to, I found this out, there's a certain way you're supposed to fold your napkin when you go to the bathroom. Can you believe that? Like you get up and you're supposed to fold your napkin in a little triangle and leave it back on your table. If you just throw it up there on a, in a nice restaurant, they'll come and fold it for you because it's not polite. I didn't know that. I found that out the hard way. I'm a public school kid from Kentucky. I didn't know that kind of stuff. Hey, look, there are people that will teach you how to be well-behaved and well-mannered. That's not the goal of the Christian home. The goal of the Christian home is to give our kids a passionate love and desire for the things of God that they would radically follow Jesus every single day for the rest of their lives. That's our job. And I believe by producing radical disciples of Jesus Christ, we'll create well-behaved children. We'll create kids who know their manners. We'll create kids who, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I believe that will come as we develop them to have a heart for the things of God. But our goal is just not well-behaved kids. Our society can produce well-behaved kids. We're looking for followers of Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 1, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Children are called to obey their parents. And as parents, we love this verse, like, oh, we love this verse. The Bible says, children, obey your parents. And the Bible says you'll have a long life if you obey your parents, so obey your parents. What we fail to realize is the verses continue after that. We always forget that the Bible's in context, right? We always forget that the Bible's not just little snippets of advice. It's a story that, that exists from Genesis to Revelation of Jesus Christ and his love for us, and it's filled full of commandments that are given in context. One of my biggest pet peeves is people that use the Bible out of context. Well, Romans 8, 28 says all things work together for good. That's not what it says. It says all things work together to, for good to them that love God and who are the called according to his purpose. And verse 29 goes on to say that the whole purpose of trials is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. You forgot that part when you said all things work together for good. Because know this, if you don't love God and you're not the called according to his purpose and you're not willing to be conformed into the image of Christ, all things are not gonna work together for good for you. So again, we have to understand the Bible in context. And we want our kids to obey us because the Bible says, but we go on in this passage and it tells us that we're to train our children in such a way that we don't frustrate them, that we don't cause them to be angry with us or discouraged in any way. But as we look at this passage, children obeying their parents, first of all, we need to understand that disobedience is not a phase that our kids go through. Disobedience is not a phase. It's a rebellion against authority. I cringe when I hear parents say, well, I try to hug my teenager, but you know how teenagers are, they don't wanna be touched. Hmm, I think you did something wrong somewhere along the way because every human being desires loving affection and attention, every one of them. And I say, well, that's not me, I don't need that kind of stuff. Then something happened somewhere along the way that, that didn't work the way it was supposed to. So when you have, angry teenagers, that's not a phase that they're going through. It's a disobedience and rebellion against God and ultimately his authority structure he has in place. And we don't think, well, our kids are just going through a phase, they'll outgrow it. No, it's a heart issue that needs help. And we as parents have to shape that and train that. Even from a very young age, we teach our kids, don't touch that. And when they touch things that they're not supposed to, we take their hand, we smack their hand, and they cry, and we say, get over it, right? Why? Because we're training them. And disobedience is not something that they'll outgrow eventually. Um, Angela and I were at a restaurant having dinner and there was um, a family seated over, uh, two tables over from us. And uh, Angela looked and she goes, oh, she said, I see trouble coming a mile away. And I looked over and there was this girl who was probably 13 years old or so. Uh, and she was dressed, um, I don't know what they call it when they, they white makeup and the black hair and the black nails and stuff like that. Really scary looking. Uh, anyways, uh, she looked like death. Let me just tell you that, right? This girl looked like death. She was like 12, 13 years old and she looked like death. Uh, and she's sitting there with her phone at dinner with her parents and she's like making all these faces and taking selfies of herself and, and like all this stuff, like for 15 minutes straight like looking at herself and like putting her head down like this and taking a picture and then like looking up like this and taking a picture. And the whole time, her parents are completely and totally oblivious to this. You know why? Because dad's on his phone scrolling sports scores 
Mom's on her phone scrolling Instagram, and the kid, there's like a four-year-old kid over there that's playing games on its tablet that it has to, and this girl who's 12, 13 years old that's dying for attention, dying, starved for attention so much that you would dress like death and take pictures of yourself, is sitting there at this table being completely ignored by the people that should love her the most. And I thought, oh man, I see trouble coming a mile away here. You might look at that and go, well, that's just a phase that teenagers go through. I'm not talking about teenagers going through bad fashion choice stage, right? Everybody did that, right? Everybody did that. I have things to look back on and go, oh, I thought that was a really cool outfit. I'm really embarrassed by that, right? I, uh, I ne- my parents, here's the, I had good parents that loved me, and they never let me buy hammer pants, okay? <laughs> if you don't know what hammer pants on you are, you should Google it, right? My parents drew the line at hammer pants. You will not have hammer pants. And so... Uh, but my parents did allow me one time, I bought a red suit, like red, like red jacket, red pants with a black shirt underneath it, and I thought it was really cool. I look back now and it's just like, that's embarrassing, right? I'm not talking about this kind of phase that kids go through of poor fashion choices. I'm talking about rebellion against authority. That's a heart problem that needs to be looked into. Selfishness is not, one author said this phrase and it's outstanding, selfishness is not outgrown Rebellion against authority is not outgrown. These things are not outgrown because they're not reflective of immaturity, but rather the idolatry of your child's heart. That's so true. We don't ever outgrow rebellion. You know why? Because I'm still rebellious. You don't outgrow that. I come to a yield sign, and you know what I want to do? I want to drive faster so that I don't have to yield to anybody. You know why? Because I don't like to yield. When the light turns yellow, do I slow down to make sure I don't blow through an intersection? No, I try to go faster because I don't want to be held back by anybody else. When I'm on the freeway and the sign says 55, do I want to drive 55? No, I don't. I want to drive a little bit faster. So what do I do? I open up my Waze app and see if anybody's reported police up ahead on the freeway, right? (laughs) Why? Because I'm rebellious. I drop my kids off at school and I'm coming back from Mililani at 9 o'clock in the morning into town. And I think to myself, only me by myself in the car, I think to myself, the carpool lane is zipping over there. Only one person in the carpool lane. And I begin to look, what's the fine? The fine's $250. Is it worth it? I don't know. Let's see. But I begin to entertain those thoughts. Why? Because my heart is rebellious. That's not something we ever outgrow. It's something we have to deal with. And so we need to understand the selfishness of the human heart is not something that we outgrow over time. It's indicative of a sin problem in our heart. It means disobedience isn't inconvenient. It's a sin problem. (laughs) I had um, two parents that loved the Lord. Uh, They did their best that they could with the resources that they had. Uh, Both my parents grew up in alcoholic, abusive homes, and they didn't know what it meant to have a Christian home. Uh, And so they did their best and they decided they wanted better for their kids than what they had for themselves. And so they just did their best. And I appreciate my parents. I love them to death. They did the best that they had with what they had. But oftentimes when I would get in trouble or times where I'd be disciplined by my parents, it was because I had messed up their day because I'd become inconvenient uh, because what I had done had messed up the plans that they had. And I got in trouble not because of my sinful condition. I got in trouble because I messed up everybody else's day. And so when I didn't want to eat my dinner, I ruined dinner for everybody. Uh, When I had gotten bad grades at school, I messed up the whole weekend that my parents had planned. When I uh, disobeyed uh, in in some way, I would cause them to have to stop what they were doing and come over and deal with me. We need to understand that when our children sin, it's not an inconvenience to us. It's a problem of their heart that we have to deal with. And again, we don't outgrow our sinfulness. We don't outgrow our selfishness. We, we continue to grow in that. The Bible says that we, we were born, we were born into sin. The Bible says we come forth from our mother's womb speaking lies. That we have all sinned against God, every single one of us. And our sin has a consequence that must be paid. Our sin has a price tag associated with it. And that consequence, that price tag is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because of this, we're all going to die one day, not just a physical death, but our sin has purchased us an eternal death, that when we die, we're going to be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. This is what we deserve. Because of our sin problems, we deserve to go to hell. 
my children, because of their sin problem, are deserving of God's wrath and judgment. That's heavy stuff. This isn't something we can just look over and hope that it gets better one day. We have to deal with the problem. And the problem for sin is always the same. It's the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus came and died for us because we've sinned and offered us a way to be forgiven from our sinful condition. You see, I've broken God's law and I deserve to go to hell and you have done the same. But the Bible says God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus came and he died on the cross to pay for my sins and pay for yours so we don't have to go to hell, so we don't have to be separated from God for all of eternity because of God's love for us. And so if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again or forgiven of your sin, you need to get that squared away because your sin has purchased you hell for all of eternity. Jesus is the only way to heaven Jesus says in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. There must be a time, date, and place for you where you put your faith and trust in Christ as Savior and we're forgiven of your sins. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And friend, my sinful condition is something I continue to struggle with on a daily basis. I put my faith and trust in Jesus as a nine-year-old boy, but ever since that day, I've continued to struggle against my selfish sinful self because that is woven into our DNA. It's part of who we are. And it's our job as parents to point our children to the only hope that they have for their sinful condition. This is why when my kids disobey, I explain to them, hey, that is very disappointed with you, not because you disobeyed me, but because you disobeyed God. And what you've done is a sin, not against your parents only, but it's also a sin against God. And this type of sin is what put Jesus to death and it's a big deal to God. That's why it's a big deal to dad. And we have to take care of this because we cannot continue to sin. And so we have to deal with this here today. When we explain to our children that their wrongs that they've done are not just because they've messed up our day, but because they've violated God's commandments and they've sinned. It puts a different view on parenting Next, we see in verse number two, children are called to honor their parents. This word honor here means to value highly or hold in respect and highest regard. You might be here today and you say, my parents aren't, uh, aren't Christians. My parents didn't raise me right. You should still honor your parents. Well, my parents did a, a crummy job with this or a crummy job with that. The Bible says to honor them regardless. It just means that you don't do anything to dishonor them still continue to hold them in, in high regard. If your parents aren't Christians, you should pray for your, Christians to, or your parents to be saved. If they're not following Jesus, you should pray for them that they'll follow Jesus. And, and let me pull over to the side here for just a second and say this this morning as well. For those of you that didn't, weren't raised in a Christian home or weren't raised by parents who did it the right way, let me help you with this. Don't ever use that as an excuse to be a bum parent yourself. Because you've been given the most beautiful picture of what a father and a family should look like. Our father looks like God, our heavenly father. A family looks like what Jesus' church looks like, where we love each other, support each other, encourage one another. When somebody falls down, we pick them back up, we dust them off and help them on their way. You, You know what a family looks like because you've seen it. You know what a father looks like because you've experienced a heavenly father that loves you and cares for you. And if you say, oh, I didn't have a good, good upbringing, I didn't have a good, a good home growing up, let me help you with this. The Bible gives you all the tools you need to make a difference. My parents had a crummy upbringing, both of them. Again, alcoholic, abusive fathers, terrible homes. Uh, my mom's uh, dad was married seven different times to six different women. Uh, just a revolving door of people in her life over and over uh, with an abusive, alcoholic dad. My, my father's parents were married uh, their whole life, but my uh, grandfather was constantly um, unfaithful to my grandmother and everybody in town knew it. He was an angry, abusive, terrible ex- excuse for a human being. And my parents, when they got married, they were 18 years old when they got married and they said, we're gonna do it differently than our parents did. And they made a commitment. They were 18 years old and they said, <laughs> they know nothing about nothing. They said, We're gonna do it differently than our parents did and we're gonna be in church every single time the doors are open. And if God gives us kids, our kids are gonna be in church every single day the doors are open. 
and we're just gonna try to do our best that we can. And my parents did, they broke the cycle. And you know what? I'm here today and you're here today because a couple of 18-year-olds said we had crummy parents, but we're just gonna try to do it God's way. And you have the opportunity today to say, I'm gonna do it God's way. I'm not gonna be held down by my past or the, my upbringing or my parents' failure. I'm gonna do things differently because God is a God of second chances. We're called to honor our parents. Honor and respect of authority are a big deal to God. Again, we've already talked about that. Uh, anytime I have the opportunity to lift up authority, I wanna do that. Hey, look, I, I'm, I uh, used to be really into politics and I used to subscribe to the Sean Hannity podcast and used to watch a lot of Fox News and stuff like that. And you know what I found? It just made me an angry person. I began to distrust everybody and I was angry about everything all the time. And so I'm not big into politics and stuff like that. I know our country's got serious problems, but I hope you respect and pray for our president. And, and I said the exact same thing when President Obama was our president. I said the exact same thing when Bill Clinton was our president. Hey, honor and respect authority. It's embarrassing to see Americans tear down America. I just don't get that. And, and for us traveling to Europe, it's, it's funny to see what they, their caricatures that they have of our government are, how they view us. It's crazy. But I want in my household to say, hey, the president's not a perfect man. We've never had a perfect president. But you know what? You need to honor him. You need to respect him. You need to pray for him. And, and it doesn't matter who's in office. Honor him, pray for him, and respect him. That goes for every area of authority. Because why? Because God's a picture of our ultimate authority. And God is the person who put authority structure in place. It's such a big deal to God that here's what he says in the book of Exodus, chapter number 21. As God's giving Moses what would become the law, he says, and he that smited his father or mother shall be surely put to death. You hit your mom and your dad, you're put to death. That's heavy stuff. Exodus 21, 17. He that curseth his father and mother shall surely be put to death. That's a big deal. Hey, you hit your parents, you're gonna die. You curse your parents, you're gonna die. Because God considers rebellion against authority a very, very big deal. But now parents, here's where the part that applies to you. Parents are called to lead well. We can gripe all day long about our kids not obeying, but we need to make sure that we're leading our children well. We're doing things God's way in a way that would honor and please him and according to his guidelines that he has set. In 1950, 1950, mind you, 70 years ago, Harvard University sociologist Sheldon and Eleanor Gluck developed a test that proved to be 90% accurate for determining whether or not five and six-year-olds would grow up to be delinquents. Now, mind you, they're looking at five- and six-year-old kids and trying to determine whether or not they'll grow up to be delinquent as adults. And they found 90% success in determining whether or not these kids at five and six years old will grow up to be delinquent. They discovered that four primary factors necessary to prevent delinquency are this. The father's firm, fair, and consistent discipline. The mother's supervision and companionship during the day. The parents demonstrated affection for each other and for the children, and the family spending time together in activities where all participated. Isn't that crazy? That if these kids had a father's fair and consistent discipline, a mother's love and companionship, they saw affection between their mom and their dad, and they had activities where everybody participated together, they could guarantee that these kids would not grow up to be delinquents. At five and six years old. That shows, now mind you, this was 70 years ago. And I can honestly say, things haven't gotten better in the last 70 years. If anything, they've gone the, the opposite direction because these things have broken down. You have fathers that are checked out and completely, totally uninvolved. You have fathers that stare at their cell phones on their iPad. This is a crazy thing. We, we traveled from, uh, this was the worst thing known to man. I had to fly uh, from, from London uh, to LA. It was a 10 and a half hour flight. It was terrible. I had to fly from LA to, to Hawaii, six hours on top of that. It was terrible. The worst part about all of it, I sat in the middle seat. A guy my size doesn't sit well in the middle seat. 
And so I think to myself, we'll upgrade to the next comfort level where you get a little bit extra leg room. Maybe you don't have to sit by as many people. You get a little bit more elbow room, something like that. We'll upgrade. It's usually like $60, $70 a flight, right? I think to myself, it's 10 and a half hours. I'll pay it. It's not that big of a deal. $750 per person. I'm not talking about first class. I'm talking about the extra leg room. It's just like, oh, great. I guess I'll be stuck. And so I'm stuck by this guy. Mind you, this is, this is hilarious to you. This guy is like twice my size. And I'm a big guy, right? I'm a big guy, but this guy was bigger. Uh, and he comes and sits to me, and he immediately sits down, and he lifts up the center armrest. And I think to myself, oh, he's going to get himself situated, put his seatbelt on, and put it back down. No, he lifted up the center armrest so he could spill over into my seat a little bit. Great. And so this guy gets on. He reeks of marijuana reeks of marijuana i mean and his eyes are glassed over he gets in he sits down next to me uh, 10 hours later he still reeks of marijuana it was awful longest flight known to man but the whole time on the plane he has the the lar- world's largest ipad that you've ever seen in your life and he's playing candy crush for 10 hours you're a grown man like I get it, video games are fun, it's something that good disconnect for a while, but 10 hours of Candy Crush, how does that happen? But you know what? Guys are content just being checked out. Oh, they're physically present, they're in the same room, but they're totally checked out. They're oblivious to what's going on. You, you take a look at any restaurant in America, go in there, you're gonna see everybody on their, their devices, everybody totally checked out. And we were getting off the plane uh, here in Hawaii, uh, and we're walking to the baggage claim, and we hear these people in front of us, they're talking, they're just like, oh, I'm so tired. And the guy's like, oh, that flight was so long. And I was just like, dude, I've been flying all day, I don't wanna hear it. Uh, but he gets off the plane from LA to, to Hawaii and he says this to his wife. He was like, uh, I just wanna go back to the hotel and sleep. She's like, we're in Hawaii, don't go to bed. And he was just like, and she was like, well, I think I'm gonna stay up and watch whatever show that they were watching, So You Think You Can Dance or something ridiculous like that. And he goes, oh, it's fine, I'm already three episodes ahead of you. And she was like, what? She was like, well, I'm gonna stay in tonight and get caught up then so we can watch it tomorrow night. And I thought to myself, you came to Hawaii and you're gonna watch So You Think You Can Dance in your hotel room? What were you thinking? Good grief. But I thought to myself, this is the world that we live in where everybody just checks out and watches TV shows all the time. And I'm telling you this, you check out on your family, your family will pay the price. Simple as that. Husbands, you check out on your wife, your, your marriage will suffer. Parents, you check out on your kids and you throw your kids a device, your kids are gonna suffer. Just know that. I've gotta check in. And this list here, four things that the scientists in 1950 said. Fathers, firm, consistent discipline. Mothers, love and companionship. Parents, demonstrating affection for each other and for the children. And parents, family spending time together in activities where everybody participated gave a 90% possibility that kids would not turn out to be delinquents. Fascinating stuff. You see, parents aren't called to shape our children's behavior, but to shape their hearts. This is key. If I shape my children's heart, their behavior will automatically follow. If I teach my children to be loving, caring, compassionate individuals, automatically, automatically their behavior will follow. I want my kids to be the one that when somebody on the playground is crying, that they walk over to them and put their arm around them and say, hey, is everything okay? I want my kids, when the new kid comes into class, they want to go sit by them at lunchtime because they know what it's like to be the new kid. I want my kids, when people say, well, it doesn't matter, I got a copy of the test and the teacher won't know. This is, my kids would say, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cheat. I'd rather my kids get an F on their own merit than to get an A cheating any day. Integrity. But that comes from shaping the heart. That doesn't come from giving a list of rules. It comes from taking their heart and shaping it to the conformity of the heart of Christ. Verse number four, and you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up into the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Sometimes people say, well, I don't want to, to be too overbearing on my kids. I don't want to be too harsh on my kids. I don't want to give my kids a bunch of rules because they'll, they'll, they'll hate me because of it. Know this, loving, nurturing leadership doesn't provoke your children to anger. The key here is loving and nurturing. I put my arm around my son and say, hey, son, I saw what you did over there. Please don't ever do that again as long as you live. 
That's loving, nurturing leadership. It's firm. When I say, I don't ever want to see that happen again as long as I live. Same words. Different feeling and emotion that comes up in my kid's heart. When I put my arm around my son and say, hey, I saw what you did there. I'm so proud of you. I want to catch my kids doing the right thing and praise for it. I'm really good at finding out the wrong things and calling out faults. But every now and then I scare the snot out of my kids because I put my arm around them and I said, I see what you just did. And they're just like, oh, what? I saw you hold the door for your sister. I saw you help your mom with the groceries. I saw you get up off the couch when your mom came in and help her put things away. I saw that and I want you to know I appreciate that. It's like, oh, I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> Why? Because when I say, hey, come here, I need to talk to you, immediately fear rises up in them, right? But we need to work on providing loving, nurturing leadership. That doesn't provoke anybody to anger. Children are provoked to anger by inconsistency. Well, it was okay last week. Well, it's not okay this week. Well, last time you said it is, well, yeah, well, that was last time. This is this time. Or, hey, church is a really big deal. That's why you and your mom are going to go and I'm going to stay at home and watch the football game. I said before, my dad told me don't ever smoke cigarettes. He was a lifelong smoker, smoked for 50 plus years. Don't ever smoke cigarettes. Okay, got it, dad. And this is back when I was a kid. He'd give me a $20 bill and say, hey, go buy me a carton of cigarettes and bring them back. Okay, so I can go in the store and buy cigarettes for you to smoke in the car with me, but I can't smoke. That didn't make sense to me. Duplicity, kids are really good at sniffing that out. Overprotection. Children provoke anger by overprotection. This is tough as a parent because we want to give our kids boundaries and guidelines to live inside of. We also don't want to be overbearing where our kids can't experience life. Favoritism is another thing that provokes children to wrath, provokes children to anger. I think every person who's ever had a sibling has de determined that the other sibling was the parent's favorite, right? Every single one of us. I know that my parents' favorite uh, is my brother. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, even though I'm, I'm better looking, even though I'm well-behaved, even though uh, my parents loved him more for whatever reason. We joke, but real legit favoritism causes drama in a child's heart, overemphasis on achievement. Again, if my kids get an F and they tried really hard, I'm for them. Hey, if my kid is a straight C student, but he spends every night writing out three by five cards and studying really hard and stuff like that. Hey, straight C's, high five. Let's go out to dinner and celebrate that. But when we place an overemphasis on achievement, you see this in, in sports all the time, parents who are just like, you better get more points. You need to score more. You, know, you need to shoot the three more. You need to get more steals, get more blocks. Overemphasis on achievement at the expense of everything else. Hey, I want my kids to achieve well. I want my kids to do well. I want my kids' hearts to be right first and foremost, though. Discouragement. Again, constantly being negative towards our children will provoke our children to anger. Feeling unwanted or burdensome. Oh, this is something, I'm telling you, this will, this will wreck your kids for the rest of your life. All you have to do is say one time, well, you know what? You weren't planned anyways. You were just an accident. Just say that one time. Your kid's wrecked for the rest of their life. I didn't really want you, but your mom wanted another one, and so I gave in. Just know when those things get said, those are so damaging that it's gonna take decades to unwrap what you just said. Well, I was angry when I said it. Whatever got said, got said, and it hurt. Feeling unwanted or unloved in your own home or like a burden to people, that causes anger. Parents who fail to let their kids just be kids. I know parents before who want their kids at, uh, you know, 10 years old to be preparing for Ivy League schools and, and don't allow them to have fun like everybody else does because they have to be practicing cello or practicing piano for eight hours a night. They have to get up in the morning and practice for two hours and practice for four hours when you get home from school and you never get a chance to actually be a kid. Hey, kids need to have fun. My wife used to get frustrated when our boys would wrestle. Just like, no, that's part of being a boy. You need to wrestle. Every single time me and my boys get to wrestle, that my kids still think that they can take me, right? Please. I'll be 80 in a wheelchair and I'll still take you. Please. I'm like old man strong, right? Please. 
My wife's just like, oh, don't be so rough with the boys. No, they need to be rough. Why? Because that's what kids do. Kids wrestle. Kids fight. Kids need to go out in the yard and play. They need to get muddy, and they need to tear stuff up. They need to rip their clothes. Let kids be kids. Parents who use love as a reward. I've seen this. It's just so damaging. I love my kid if they make straight A's. I love my kid if they made the baseball team. But if my kid got cut from the baseball team, mm, you always have been kind of a disappointment in our family just like your mom, you're a klutz like her. Oh, man, those words are so hurtful. Physical or verbal abuse, this has no place in the Christian home, period, end of story, none. Spanking is biblical, it's in the Bible, and I think there's a right way to do it, and there's definitely a wrong way to do it, and if you do it the right biblical way, the outcome is love, nurturing, and respect in your home. You do it the wrong way, it's anger, it's abusive, and it's sinful, and sometimes criminal. And if you don't know how to do it the right way, please see me. I'll be more than happy to help you to discipline your children in a biblical way. And some people, though, err to the wrong side. Well, uh, I was abused as a kid, so I never want to, to raise my voice to my kids. Or I never want to discipline them in any way. Hey, look, you can't afford that. But physical and verbal abuse, it's not Christian, period, end of story. Don't do it. But there's a right way to lovingly discipline your children. Don't have time for that today. Parents are called to train our children I'm gonna, I'm gonna cruise through these because we're short on time here today. Parents are called to train our children and training always begins with the word of God. Your kids are learning the Bible right now if they're over in super church. If your kids are in the nursery this morning, they're teaching them Bible songs in the nursery. Our two and three-year-olds have a, a story that they learn from the Bible. We're teaching them the Bible, but hey folks, we get like an hour and a half a week. That's not enough to last the rest of their life. You need to teach them and train them from the Bible. When your kids lie, you need to take them to the Bible and show them where lying is a sin and it hurts God's heart. When your kids take something that doesn't belong to them, you need to help them to understand they've broken God's commandments and it hurts God's heart. When they disrespect you as a parent, it goes against God's law and it's a sin and sin has to be dealt with. Training begins with the word of God, but training is reinforced by a godly example. All of us have been around people who say one thing and do another. That's the easiest way to lose the respect of your children. I don't know if you guys have ever worked for somebody who was really big on punctuality. Man, I, I, I love being punctual on time as early and early as on time. Man, I love that. But if you've ever been around somebody who wants you to be punctual, but they roll in whenever they want to, have you ever seen that before? You better be here at eight o'clock in your seat ready to get work done. And they roll in at 8.30 with Starbucks. And it's just like, wait a minute, duplicitous, right? I can't tell my kids to walk in integrity and honesty and love and character when I myself am not a person of honesty, love, character, and integrity. I want to say, here's what the Bible says and here's how mommy and daddy do it. Here's what the Bible says, and that's why we don't do this in our home. Here's what the Bible says, and that's why we don't act this way, and it gets reinforced by a godly example. And we need to teach our kids that the good life is found in following Jesus. Here's the big deal, dads. Fathers are a picture of God. This is heavy. But when the Bible says your heavenly father is talking about, he's like your dad, but he's up in heaven. And again, your example to your kids will either help them in their relationship with God or it will hinder it. For example, my dad, very loving, very involved. Everything that ever took place in my life, my dad was there. If I had a baseball game, he was there. In, in uh, school, whenever I played basketball, I sat the bench most games, but my dad was always there. My dad would pick me up from basketball practice and talk to me about it, super involved. I had science projects. Me and my dad would stay up till two o'clock in the morning doing science projects because I didn't tell him until the day before the science fair. <laughs> Don't laugh, you were that kid too, right? We did everything together. And so when I think of my heavenly father, he's like my dad, but he's perfect in every way. My wife, on the other hand, didn't have a dad like that. She had a dad who was a, a good man. He, he worked hard and put food on the table, made sure all the family's bills were paid, but he was kind of not involved. She said, nobody ever asked me growing up about my homework. Nobody ever asked me about my grades. She said, I don't even think my dad ever even knew who my teacher was. And she goes, he was just, he was around, but he wasn't really involved. And she said, I learned a lot about family by watching TV. And she said, just kind of how it was. So when you say 
he's like your dad, but he's up in heaven, that has a totally different meaning to her. That means that God must be kind of checked out. He'll provide for us, but he's not really involved in our day-to-day life. He just kind of wants us to not cause too much trouble and stay out of the way. That's why fathers, you have a responsibility to show your kids what their heavenly father looks like. That's why when my kids disobey, I say, I'm gonna give you mercy in this case. And let me explain to you what mercy is. It's not getting what you deserve because God is merciful. God doesn't always give us what we deserve and praise God for that. Hey, I'm gonna let you go to the basketball game tonight even though you don't deserve to. That's called grace. And God is gracious, and many times he gives us what we do not deserve. And I'm gonna give you grace today because God is a gracious father. But please understand, you cannot mock God's grace. You cannot continue to sin because when grace runs out, there's only judgment. And let me tell you this, this is your last chance for grace, and after this comes judgment. That helps my kids understand the character of God and helps me to be a better father to them. Final thoughts here this morning, we're done. First of all, honor your parents. Again, the Bible doesn't talk about if they're honorable, honor them, it just says honor your parents. And so we need to make sure that we give them uh, value and esteem in some way. We don't do anything to dishonor them. Secondly, model consistent Christian living in your home. If you say you believe something, live like it. Nothing worse than a duplicitous Christian. Next, set the example for what a Christian home looks like. Just know this, whatever goes on in your home right now, your kids think that's normal, automatically. When uh, my wife and I got married, uh, one of the first questions she asked me our very first year of marriage, so where are we going on our family vacation this year? (laughs) What do you mean? Well, families go on vacation every summer, right? I've never heard of that in my entire life. (laughs) We went on vacation like twice, once when I was five and once when I turned 18, that was it. She's like, no, every family goes on vacation every summer somewhere. We need to figure out where we're going. I've never heard of this in my life. Well, you need to ask around because everybody does this. Nobody ever goes on vacation. And come to find out, it was normal to her because that's what they did in their house. It wasn't normal to me because that's what we did in our house. I grew up thinking that everybody's parents lived together, loved each other, and went to church every Sunday because that's what my parents did and all my friends' parents did. That was normal to us wasn't normal to my wife. It was normal for some people in the neighborhood to maybe even be closer to your mom. It was normal for my my wife, for her grandmother to kind of be in place of her mom sometimes because that was normal for her. Whatever happens in your home is normal for your kids. Understand this. If loving Jesus and loving each other is what you're doing, that becomes normal for your kids. That's a very healthy thing. If going to church when you feel like it and being a Christian when you feel like it is normal for you, your kids will grow up and they'll think that's normal. If you live in a home where you curse at one another when you get angry, your kids are gonna grow up thinking that that's normal and that's how you treat your kids. When you're angry and you lash out at your children in rage, they're gonna think that that's normal, that's how people act. (laughs) As a parent, young parent, I screamed a lot. You know why? Because my mom did. My wife's like, what's wrong with you? She's like, nothing, I'm just trying to be a parent. She was like, you're a terrible parent. (laughs) You don't have to talk to people like that. You know what I said? Well, that's what my mom always did. And she said, well, your mom was wrong. Point taken. So we need to model what a Christian home looks like. And if you didn't have that, it's your time to start now showing what it looks like. Next, get the heart of your children. My son Thatcher turned 25 this past week. And you know what? At 25 years old, I still have his heart I can still say, hey, I wouldn't do that if I were you and he would listen to me. Hey, I would probably look into something like that and he'll look into it because I've given him advice. As a parent, I still wanna continue to have his heart and guide him and shape him and grow him. My daughter Tallulah, she's 20 months old. I wanna have her heart at a young age. I want her to be daddy's girl and love her dad because I want her to grow up and love Jesus. I pray for her every night when I put her in her bed that she'll grow up to be a sweet girl that always loves her dad and always loves Jesus. I wanna have her heart at a very young age. My daughter, Makili, she's, she's 10. I buy her flowers. I tell her she's beautiful. I take her on dates. I want to treat, show her what a Christian man treats a lady like so that she'll know it one day. And some knucklehead that comes along talking about parts of her body that he shouldn't talk about, she'll say, get out of here. You're disgusting. Why? Because I got her heart when she was two years old and I worked on it. 
Vanderlei, 17 years old, just got his first job. He's working a job now, getting a paycheck. While we were gone, he's like, I went out with some friends from work. What? You can't do that. <laughs> what? We just like went out to eat and hung out for a bit. It was cool. No, we got to talk about that. There be guidelines for this, right? What? And, and you know what he said? Oh, I didn't know. And so now I get the opportunity to do what? Shape his heart. Don't ever do that again. What do you think you're doing? You can't do that. Give me these people's names. I'll talk to their parents and find out if you can hang out with them. Hey, look, I got six more months that I can legally do that. After that, he's going to tell me to get lost unless I shape his heart. See the difference there? Have your kid's heart. Never, final thought, never stop investing. Your kids might be 50 years old. Keep investing in them. Keep loving them. Keep encouraging them. Well, they're an adult. They're a grown-up. They still need love, encouragement, protection, investment. Never stop. Never stop growing. This year, I'll, there's three different books on parenting that I want to read myself. I got kids 20 months to 25. I'm still trying to be a good parent. I never want to stop learning, stop investing in their lives because investment matters. You might be here today and say, I don't have no kids. Hope you took good notes because maybe God will give you kids one day. I don't ever want kids. Great. Maybe you'll be able to help somebody else with biblical thoughts on how to guide their children and shepherd their hearts and lead them into that. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave here without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Next week, we get to take a look at how we allow our faith to influence our workplace and the people that we work with on a daily basis. Hope we'll be back next week for that. Let's